through the book of Judges. Yesterday, I was able to go uh, with my family to Pikes Peak or Bust, our local rodeo. It was the 74th annual rodeo here in Colorado Springs. How many of you guys have been to Pikes Peak or Bust? Raise your hand. All right, to all 10 of you, that's great. Awesome. Well, I'd never been, so it was really fun for me. And I was watching all this take place, and there was bull riding, and I was thinking, this is amazing. You've got these huge bulls, and they're bucking, and these men risking their lives to get, get on the bulls. And like, who came up with bull riding anyway? Do you know what they do to the bulls? Do you really know what they do to the bulls to make them that, that mad? Well, let's just say it has to do with the tenderloins, okay? Guys, if they did that to you, you'd be really mad as well. And that's what causes those bulls to buck like that. And this one cowboy got bucked off, and then the bull was going at him with his horns, and everybody's gasping, and then here comes the clown to intervene, and actually the bull bucked the, the, the clown, and that's not even the best part of the story. Then they said, we're going to have a raffle, and, and whoever wins this raffle, you get the opportunity to, to ride a bull. And I'm thinking, man, the poor guy that wins that raffle. So sure enough, I look under my seat, and there it is. I win the raffle. And, like, and so I asked this question. I'm like, who? Me? Really? Me? I've got to get on that bull? Now, how many of you believe that? That is absolutely not true. That did not happen. I did go to the rodeo, and I did watch some, some bull riding, but I did not win the raffle, and I would not do that. And it has nothing to do with my message. No. The reason that I tell you that story, though, is because I have felt that way a lot of times with God's call. When God calls and says, Eric, I want you to do this, oftentimes my response is, who, me? I'm supposed to do that? I'm supposed to get on that bull? We're going to start studying the life of Gideon. And today, we're going to look at the first 24 verses of Judges chapter 6. Gideon has that same response. Who, me? Really? I'm the one? that is to be called by God. And hopefully for all of us this morning, we can recognize and respond to God's call in our lives. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you've saved us with a purpose. You've given us a calling, things that you want us to do for you. And we ask that we could really see the calling that we have and we could respond in obedience. We know your spirit is our teacher, our guide. So we welcome you here, Holy Spirit. Would, would you teach us? We give you our attention. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse one of Judges chapter six. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into hand of Midian for seven years. This cycle, this circle that would happen in the children of Israel they would be in a time of oppression, of bondage, cry out to God. God would deliver, raise up a judge. There would be a time of peace. They would go right back to their idolatry. The end of chapter 5, we see they had 40 years of rest. It's when things are going well that we need to be careful. Maybe the greatest enemy to our soul is success, blessing, and ease. Many people in scripture handled trials well, but failed in time of blessing. That's what we find with the children of Israel. Things were going well. It was a time of peace, 40 years. The result of that is now idolatry. They're doing evil in God's sight. 
What does God do in verse one? God then delivers them to the Midianites. God corrects them. God disciplines his children. He disciplines those that he loves. And if you find yourself in that place this morning, as God's child, you've walked with the Lord, but there's been a season of compromise. There's been a season of rebellion. God's gonna discipline you. God's gonna raise up the Midianites to get your attention because it's proof that you are the child of God. I only discipline my own children. I don't discipline anybody else's children. If there's kids that are acting up and being bad and being disrespectful at the store, I don't go discipline those kids. In fact, I usually think it's kind of funny because it's not my kid. You know, it's, it's kind of funny when it's someone else's kid as long as it's not my kid. But I would never go have a face-to-face with a kid and say, hey, look, the way you're behaving is not quite right. And here's some discipline. They're not my child. I only discipline my own children. So if you're receiving God's correction, it's evidence that you're God's child. In this case, it was by the hand of the Midianites. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham, believe it or not. Abraham went on to be remarried after Sarah died to Keturah. They went on to have children. One of their sons was Midian, who gave then birth to the Midianites that were enemies of the children of Israel. So there's blood relation here. In verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Out of fear, they're living in hiding, living in caves, living in dens, living in strongholds. That's what compromise does to our lives. That's what idolatry does to our lives. That's what sin does to our lives. That's why a loving father says, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to compromise in that way. Contrast the way the children of Israel living in verse 2 compared to the way that Christ wants us to live. Christ came to give us life and more abundantly. Christ is light. He wants us living in the light, not hiding anything. If, If you can relate, if you find yourself being a cave dweller, if you would, because of your compromise, stay tuned and see what the children of Israel do and how God responds. Verse 3, so it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Amalekites are descendants of Esau. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. If you've been watching the news this week, you've heard the phrase Gaza Strip in Israel currently where there is fighting between the Palestinians and the children of Israel. There's fighting here involving the Gaza Strip. It's a section of land that's had war after war and fighting and tension after tension. This particular time in Israel, we find that they're coming and they're taking their produce. You work hard, your harvest, your harvest finally comes and here comes the Midianites, here comes the Amalekites, the people from the east, and they come and they wipe out all of your produce. Take your sheep, take your ox, take your donkeys. There's nothing left. Satan's ultimate mission is to rob, kill, and destroy, isn't it? He doesn't want Christians to be fruitful. Maybe you can remember a time in your life where you were bearing fruit, you were abiding in Jesus. You're walking with him. You're staying connected. So there was a vibrance about you. There's a vibrance about your soul. There's fruit to to be had. But compromises come in. Rebellions come in. 
Now there's no fruit. The harvest has been taken. Verse 5, for they would come up with their livestock, their tents, coming in as numerous as the locust. Both they, their camels, were without number. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So not only were they taking the produce, but they were destroying the land. There were so many that you couldn't even count, as numerous as the locusts coming in with camels. A camel can travel about 100 miles in one day. Think if you traveled by foot and then you upgraded to a camel. All of a sudden, how much further you could go. So these guys could cover a lot of territory in one given day, just wiping out, destroying the land, wiping out, destroying the land. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They cried out. They got desperate. They responded to God's correction. They said, Lord, would you work? God, would, would you forgive? We're sick and tired of the bondage of, of the Midianites. What was God's response? How did God respond to this? Oh, uh, good luck. You guys have messed up. You've blown it. So you're just going to have to deal with this on your own. We'll find this story of redemption, this story of deliverance. Time and time again throughout the book of Judges, it's never too late with the Lord. Cry out to him. If you're in that place where you find yourself in the cave, you find yourself in rebellion, you don't even know why you're here this morning. God knows why you're here. Will you cry out? But there has to get to a place where we're desperate. There has to get to a place where we're tired of the condition that we're living in and we want to see God move. We want to see God bring an alteration in our lives. Verse 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. He heard. God heard. And he responded by giving his message to God's people. He didn't give his message prior to this because they weren't ready to hear it. But now they're ready to hear. So God sends a prophet. This is a little bit unique compared to the other sections in Judges because normally God would just raise up a deliverer. But prior to the deliverer, he wants the children of Israel to have his message. So here's the prophet. The prophet's unnamed. We don't know who he is. We don't know his background or his identity. Who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. Remember your past, Israel. Remember the deliverance that I've brought. Child of God, remember how God has delivered you. Remember how you were saved and brought to Christ. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. Not only did God take them out of Egypt, but he gave them the promised land 200 years prior under Joshua's leadership. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord God and do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you've not obeyed my voice. God's message, you rebelled. God's message, you didn't obey my voice. I didn't want you to fear the God of the Amorites. I didn't want you to be in a place of awe and wonder and your attention given to these false gods. Here's the problem, Israel. You're in bondage because you did this. A lot of times we're looking for scapegoats when life goes wrong. There's certain trials in our lives that are unavoidable. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Your car breaks down, people get diseases, people lose jobs, all kinds of things. It has nothing to do with whether you're walking with the Lord or not. It's just the trials of life. 
But there are those self-inflicted, self-destructive, sinful decisions that we make, and then we want to blame it on someone else. And God's got to bring it back and say, hey, look, you didn't obey my voice. I think about it this way, and bear with me on this, is I had a chance to go to a pastor's conference this week, Monday through Wednesday, and it was really refreshing. It was in Southern California. A few of the pastors went with me from our staff here. We landed there in Southern California. Guess where we went first? Right after we landed. In and out. We went to In and Out. Got a hamburger. Got a double double. That's two patties, if you're unfamiliar. Two patties with the cheese, animal style, grilled onions. Had to do the French fries. By the time I got to the car, I was feeling it. I was like, you know. Now I'm all refreshed to go hear some Bible studies, right? So dinner came around. I thought I better have a salad. It's time for me to have a salad. And I kind of swang to the other side of the spectrum. And this restaurant was amazing. It was kind of like the Chipotle of salads. You know at Chipotle where you get to go through and pick what you want on your burrito? All these options of what I could put on my salad. And I was overwhelmed because when I go to a restaurant, I want to get the best thing. There is one thing that's superior on the menu to my taste buds. And I'll take 15 or 20 minutes to make sure that I order correctly. You may be like that kind of a real pain in the butt if you go, go out to dinner with someone like that. So here I am overwhelmed at all of the choices because if I didn't like my salad, if I made a bad salad, whose fault was it? Was it the guys that I went with? Fellow pastors, my buddies? Nope, it wasn't their fault. Was it the restaurant's fault? Was it the people that worked there's fault? Because no, it's my fault. I chose the wrong things on my salad. And that's a huge moment. The Christian life's kind of like a salad bar a little bit. Is you realize, I made some choices here. And it's not my parents' fault. Ouch. It's not my spouse's fault. It's not my friend's fault. It's not my church's fault. It's my fault. I didn't obey God's voice. I put the wrong things on my salad. Well, good news. Cry out to the Lord. Repent. And allow the Lord to restore and rebuild. We go on into verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Our attention now goes upon Gideon. God takes the most narrative on Gideon in the book of Judges. Samson's a close second. We find Gideon, this future judge, in the wine press threshing his wheat. Now, what's threshing wheat? If you get the grain out of the wheat stalks, normally it would be done outside, preferably where there's some wind to aid in the process. He's in the wine press in this dark place because he fears the Midianites will come and take his grain from him. The angel of the Lord comes and sits at the tree. And then verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. We'll find the identity of the angel of the Lord in a few more verses. And said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at five things this morning in regards to calling that we can all apply to our own lives. How does God call? And the first thing, number one, is calling is to individuals. Calling is to individuals. When God wants to do a work, he calls a person. And that's what God does here. Look in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. 
as we live in a very dark spiritual climate, I'm convinced that God wants to call individuals. In our community, in our city, our state, throughout the world, God is looking to call people that will respond to his call, that will adopt God's priorities. But this is always the case, is God's call goes out personally. It goes to Gideon, one man. And when one man, one woman, responds to God's call, God does great things. Many times, we want God to do a movement. We want God to call a whole team of people. We want God to raise up a whole army. And that will happen. It'll go from a man to a movement. But it starts with a man. It starts with an individual. It starts with a woman who's personally willing to respond to God's call. And you look throughout Scripture, when God wanted to move, he called an individual. God will call you personally to exactly what he wants you to do. This gets exciting. This gets awesome. Because the Lord saved us with a purpose in mind. You live in Colorado Springs for a reason. You're visiting from some other city. You live in that place for a reason. The street that you live on, God's choice. The apartment that you live in, the family that you were born into, whether you like it or not, God's choice. God wanted you to be born into that family. You're adopted into a particular family. God moved in all those details. You're at a particular job. God placed you there. You're at this church. God wants you here. It's not happen chance. It's not because we've got the best espresso in town. No, God wants you here. He's called you here. You're sticking here for a reason because God wants to use you inside of this church. He calls individuals. He's got a specific plan for each one of our lives. That's the first thing. Then the next thing that we see is calling is from God's vantage point. That's number two. Write it down. Pray about it. Meditate upon it. Calling is from God's vantage point. Did you hear what God said to Gideon? The Lord's with you, you mighty man of valor. Where was Gideon? He's hiding in the wine press. He probably should get the biggest wimp award, don't you think? If he's a mighty man of valor, he's standing outside with his sword saying, look, make my day. You want my grain? You make my day. He's a Coloradoan with the make my day law, right? He's saying, look, I'm a mighty man of valor. The Lord's with me. You're not going to steal this grain. But that's not the condition that he was in, but that's what God saw in Gideon. Here's the point, is God sees his finished work in us. We see our brokenness, we see our flaws, we see the flaws of other people, but God looks down and he says, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty woman of valor. I'm gonna use you for my glory because he sees what he's gonna do in our lives. My wife is really gifted at this when it comes to projects. She's very creative. She does things out of the box. She had a vision for our kitchen. We wanted to do some work in our kitchen. It was unconventional. It only took me two years to agree to her idea. I know I'm a man of humility. Only two years. It only took two years. I finally went with what she wanted to do. We just finished, and it looks great. She saw something that I could never see. She can go into a house that's completely broken down, go, oh, man, this house has so much potential. If you did this, if you did this, if you you painted there... And God sees us the same way. We see brokenness, we see fear, we see timidity, but God sees potential, and he sees us in that finished state. Philippians 1.6 says, be confident of this. He who began a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. 
In fact, Romans 8 tells us that you are glorified from God's perspective. You are glorified. I'm glorified. He knows he's going to finish the work. He sees in Gideon something that Gideon didn't see in himself. Calling is from God's vantage point. We look at verse 13. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Good question. And where are all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Gideon respectfully shares his frustration with God. Do you have that framework in your relationship with the Lord? You can pour out your heart to him. That's the Psalms. The psalmist is expressing the difficulty of life. A lot of times we feel like, well, God, I can't really say this to you because I don't know how you'll respond to me or I don't want to be disrespectful. Do it respectfully, but share your heart with the Lord. That's what Gideon is doing here. It's okay to go to the Lord and say, God, this isn't really turning out the way that I thought it would. I'm really disappointed about this this outcome. Could you help shed some light on this? Gideon's honest here. And he's saying, why did this happen to us? If you had been with us, we see pretty clearly from an outsider's perspective that Gideon's wrong, isn't he? He feels like God has let them down, but in fact, they're the ones who had walked away from the Lord. They're the ones who had forsaken the Lord. We're very quick to blame it on the Lord. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? As God speaks, he doesn't answer the question of Gideon, which is interesting. He simply gives him a commission. And this is number three. If you're taking notes, number three, calling requires action. Calling requires action. God says, you've got to go. You've got to go in this might of yours. Have I not sent you? I bet God has been preparing us for some steps of faith. The Lord has been moving in our hearts in the sense of of calling. Maybe some of you are at a place where you've been thinking about getting married. God has put an amazing godly man in your life, a godly woman in your life, but you're afraid. You've got to take action. You've got to step out in faith. Now, if you're thinking about marrying somebody who's not a godly man or not a godly woman, probably shouldn't because marriage can be the closest thing to heaven on earth or it can be the closest thing to hell on earth, right? Man, you guys are kind of a rough crowd this morning. Do I need to talk down here? (laughs) Yeah. Some of you are like, I can't laugh. My my wife's going to nudge me. She's going to nudge me if I laugh. (laughs) But I'm talking to you if you've got this amazing godly person in your life, go for it. It requires faith. You've got to step out in faith. Some of you are an amazing godly Christian couple and you're wrestling with why, you sh- if you should have kids or not. And God's put on your heart to have kids. And you're afraid. You're like, how are we ever going to provide for these kids? Let me just tell you this. It doesn't say it in the Bible. If you wait till you can afford to have kids, you will never have kids. God just has a way of providing, doesn't he? And he wants to bless you with kids. What would your life be like without having kids? Step out. It, re- it requires action. Go for it. Have children. For some of you, you're at this place of like, I've got kids, and well, really, I was thinking if there could be a trade-in program, but there's not, not a trade-in program, but God has been putting some things on my heart that I need to do with my kids. Go for it. It it requires action. 
You're single, and the Lord's put some things on your heart, some unique ways that you, you can serve. Some of you, maybe God's been putting, putting on your heart to plant a church. Some of you, God's been saying, hey, make a job change. The important thing is what's God saying? And then respond to that. It requires action. Calling requires action. Verse 15, so he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Oh, don't we feel that way so often when the Lord calls? Our weaknesses are glaring in our face. Number four is calling is based on God's goodness, not our weakness. Calling is based on God's goodness. Now, I want you to say that. I want you to say it out loud. I want you to participate with me. So God's calling is based on God's goodness. Calling is based on God's goodness. I'm going to say it one more time, and I'm going to give you a count of three. Calling is based on God's goodness. One, two, three. Calling is based on God's goodness. Isn't that awesome? Calling's based on God's goodness. He's not looking around going, well, you know, you're so talented, Gideon, so I'm going to call you to this task. Gideon sees his weakness, but God is calling him. Look at God's choosing throughout Scripture. He always chooses the weak vessels. Moses was God's chosen messenger to deliver the children of Israel. Moses could not speak without stuttering. How intimidating to go before Pharaoh when you're stumbling over your words. To try to lead a multitude of people and you can't say a sentence straight. Why would God choose Moses to show his glory? David was God's choosing, God's king. God told Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse. One of Jesse's sons is going to be the new king. David doesn't even get invited to the meeting. Dad forgets about David. Dad says there's no way that David could be king. He's too young. He's too unexperienced. So David's out doing his thing with the sheep. He's out in pasture. God keeps speaking to Samuel. No, that's not, that's not the one. No, the tall, handsome guy? No, that's not him. He's not going to be the new king. Finally, Samuel goes, do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah. There's that loser David that's out at pasture. Why don't, why don't you go get David? So they're waiting for David to come. David's hair's probably all messed up. He's got the sling in one hand, the harp in another. God sees his heart. God says, this is a man after my own heart. He's anointed to be king. We go to the New Testament Peter leads the early church. He blew it. He denied the Lord. He was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Christ restored Peter, filled him with his spirit. The first message that Peter gives, 3,000 people are saved. Paul was an unlikely candidate to write one-third of the New Testament as he persecuted the church. If you have not been following God's call based on your weakness, you have no biblical ground. I have no biblical ground. God always calls someone who's not qualified. It's been said this way. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Let me say that one more time. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. His calling is based on God's goodness. In verse 16, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Number five, the last one, is calling is rooted in his presence calling is rooted in his presence. Jesus is with you. He really is. 
He lives inside of you. Your heart is his home. He's promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Is he calling you into marriage? He's going to be there. He's going to be there with your relationship with your kids. Is he calling you to serve the church? Is he calling you to go across the street and talk with your neighbor? Is he calling you to prayer? What's he calling you to? He's going to be with you. It's rooted in his presence. That's what we've seen throughout this text. I waited until now to point it out, but God has said it multiple times. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I look at it this way. If you recruit a six-year-old to help you wash the car, how is that working out? The way that works out is because you're with them. You're doing your work plus their work, right? And they walk away so amazed that they could wash the car and they feel good about themselves. There's a good sense of pride. See, God's with us. God's gonna be with Gideon. He's gonna walk them through this process. This applies to our calling. We go on and we'll continue down to verse 24. Then he said to him, this is Gideon speaking to the angel of the Lord. If I have now found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talked with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I've come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Look back at verse 14 of chapter 6. It says, the Lord turned to him. And now here we find that Gideon is going to worship the angel of the Lord. The identity of this angel is no one less than Christ. It's referred to as a Christophanes, is the theological term. It's Christ in the pages of the Old Testament, coming in the form of the angel of the Lord. A rank-and-file angel could not receive worship, but the angel of the Lord here is going to receive worship because it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is appearing to Gideon. Gideon's having an encounter with Christ. He wants to worship. Gideon wants to bring an offering unto the Lord. In verse 19, so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from the ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, he put the broth in a pot, and he brought him out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. This is a great sacrifice on Gideon's part. They're impoverished. They're in famine. Every little piece of meat is valuable. People starving. And Gideon goes and gets a young goat. He gets unleavened bread, an ephah of flour, brings it out in a basket and presents it. Verse 20, the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Try to put yourself in that place. You lay out the meat. And all of a sudden, then the angel of the Lord Christ touches the rock and the offering's consumed. It's burnt up. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. The angel of the Lord is gone. What's so fascinating to me about this in the calling of Gideon is he's encountering Jesus in a greater way. Christ is appearing to him. This is what's going to happen in our lives. As we respond to God's calling, and it's going to look different for all of us because we're the body of Christ, then Christ is going to appear to us. And we're going to have a deeper revelation and understanding of who he is. Verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God. Again, he's ascribing deity to God. There's no argument from the angel of the Lord. 
For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, no one can see God and die or see God in a sinful state because we'll die. We know that from Moses' request. He wanted to see God's face, and God says, no, you can only see my backside. So what happens here in these verses? What is Gideon experiencing? He's not seeing the face of the Father. He's seeing the face of the angel of the Lord, Christ coming in the form of the angel. In verse 23, then the Lord said to him, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. To encounter God is trembling. To encounter the angel of the Lord, Christ, stepping onto the Old Testament is trembling. Gideon has this fear come over him, I'm going to die. And here the angel of the Lord speaks, Christ speaks and says, peace be with you. What does this remind you of? When Christ rose from the dead, the disciples are afraid, locked themselves in a room. Jesus just comes in, doesn't use the door, comes right through the walls, boom. What does he say? Get on your face. No. He says, peace be with you. Shalom, peace be with you. Jesus brings us peace. His life, perfect life. His death upon the cross, his resurrection, so that we could have peace with God. If you know Christ as your savior, there's not enmity between you and God. God's not angry at you. There's peace with God. You're in right relationship with God. That'll cause you to sleep. When you go to bed at night, just meditate on the fact, I have peace with God. I'm the son of God. I'm the daughter of God. I'm the child of God. But we also have peace of God in situations that we go through. It doesn't make sense. It surpasses our understanding. But Jesus is the one that brings us into peace. So verse 24, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace to this day. It is still an Orpha of the Abrazirite. He built an altar to God. Why did he build an altar to the Lord? Because he wanted to remember how God met him. He wanted to remember that the Lord is peace. God wants us to be a people of remembrance. Build an altar. Maybe God met you in a special way in a particular place. Take a picture and actually print it out. Did you realize you can print out photos? And Really, you can. You can print out a photo and print it out and maybe put it into a journal and tape it into that journal and write down how the Lord had met you. you go, God meets with me in a special way when I'm up in the mountains. I don't know if you guys experience that same thing. When you just get out into God's creation, if I'm able to walk on the beach and meditate upon his goodness, I just get a sense that, wow, God, everything is under your control. Remember that and, and build an altar. Is there a place that God meets with you in your home where you tend to go to have quiet time or cry out to the Lord in the, in the middle of the night? Just, Lord, this is an altar. I don't worship the altar, but I remember it because it's a place that you met me. The Lord is peace. My home church that I grew up in Southern Oregon, it was where God really captivated my heart and got, got a hold of me. And that place, that church has a special place in my heart because of what God did in my life. And it's probably the same for you. The place where you first came to, to know the Lord, it, it's got a special place. And you build altars in those places. So as we wrap things up here, let's seek application. And application is what is God saying to do from his word? Not what do I think or what do you think, but what would God have us to apply? And the first, I think, is to somebody who's fallen away as the child of God. And you find yourself in some dens, some caves. You find yourself having this Midianite type of experience. And you're saying, I need to get right with the Lord. 
return to God. And as you return to the Lord, he's going to come and forgive you, restore you, minister to you, cry out to him. And then the other is this issue of calling. I want you to consider this with me. For people that don't know Christ, and for some that are taken in just a complete place of, of darkness, there's an agenda, isn't there? If you haven't noticed, there's an agenda. And ultimately, it winds up right with Satan and Satan's desire to destroy lives. And people don't think twice about taking action in that agenda. Right? Bam, I'm going to do it. Bam, I'm going to do it. Bam, I'm going to do it. And they just, they just go for it. But then here we are as Christians, and we have something that's so cool, don't we? Something that's far out. It's, it's amazing. God loves us. He died for us. He rose again. And God's saying, I want to use you. I, no, no, I really want to use you. And we're like, I, don't, I just don't really know if I should get to know my neighbor. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I should talk to him about the, the love of Jesus Christ. A missions trip to Juarez? No, not me. I'm not going on a missions trip to Juarez. That, that's crazy talk right there. Why? Why? And this is what I imagine, is that prior to coming into this service, God has been speaking to your heart with some steps of faith and some calling that he's been putting. And will you say yes and will you go for it? Because that's where Gideon's at. Think about the fruit that can happen in our fellowship, in our church, how God could use us in this lost and dying world if we said yes to his calling. I don't know if you've realized this, but we do not live in a Christian nation. If you haven't realized that yet, lovingly, respectfully, I don't know where you've been the last 10 years. I have no idea what planet you're living on, what country you call home, but this is not a Christian nation. And that excites me. You're saying, why? Because that means there's tons and tons of people in our own culture, in our own language, that need to be reached with the love of Jesus Christ. And believe me, trust me on this, that there will be many other countries that are going to send missionaries right here. Right here. Because the church of God is not responding to the mission field that God has given. So be a part of God's plan. Be a part of God's story. And this is the most important thing, is encounter Jesus. Because if you don't encounter Jesus, Gideon encountered Jesus, then it's just legalism. It's just like, well, it's about time for me to do something, so I'm going to do something, and it won't work. But if you encounter Jesus, and you're in awe of who he is, and then you hear God speak, and God says, oh, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty woman of valor. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go tear down a family altar, a family idol. I want you to blow a trumpet. I want you to rally an army. You go, okay, all right, God, you spoke to me. So let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us.